you give something, you give one pound, you give 50p, give something, you've now completed the name of Hashem. You've now activated godness into this world. Hashem is all about love and giving. It's about giving. So when we give, we're replicating. We are experiencing godliness into this world every time we give. It's one of the most spiritually important, if not the most spiritually important thing we can do, as we're going to see soon. And I highly, highly recommend that that every time you pray, before you pray, you just give a bit of charity. You have a charity box in your home and you have get make sure you have lots of change. And every day, almost three times a day, even if it's two pence, five pence, just going through the act of putting your hands in your pocket, taking the money, putting it in a charity box is spiritually incredible. Says Rabbi Desler, the great Rabbi Desler asks a beautiful question. What's greater? To give 1,000 pounds to one person or one pound to a thousand people. So obviously for the recipient, he wants the thousand pounds. That's not the question. Rabbi Desta says, what's going to bring you, the giver, closer to Hashem? And Rabbi Desta says, without doubt, even though it's an amazing thing, really the recipient isn't gaining much just from a pound. What can they really do with a pound? But from the perspective of the giver, that giver is now much closer to Hashem because giving 1,000 times every time you do the act of giving, that's why if you can give three times a day, even a couple of pennies, you know, in the year you've given a 1,000 times. And, and therefore, my dear friends, I really recommend you learn to give so much more. It doesn't have to be, it's not the amount, it's the frequency of giving. The more you give, the closer you are to Hashem, the more you're going to erode your ego. Every time you do that act of giving, it's the yud and the hey and the bob and the hey. Every time you act, do that act of giving, it's taking of your ego. It's diminishing your ego. Your, your spiritual light is going to come out more and more and more and more and more and more. So let's learn together some of the laws of charity. Let's make it a little bit more practical than some of our usual Wednesday nights, which I personally think is practical. But um, it's a little bit spiritual and mystical. Let's try and bring this a little bit more down to earth as my wife would like it. A bit more practical. And let's learn some of the core laws of charity. And I'm happy to take questions about practical scenarios of when to give charity, how to give charity, but please stay for the last 20 minutes, which is really incredibly mystical, inspirational stories, which hopefully will make you cry and blow your mind and make you smile and make you just feel a lot of light and close to Hashem. That's the idea. So let's give a bit of background of charity and some of the laws. First of all, there's a Talmud in Baba Basra, page nine and 10, which really sets up some of the core reasons why we give charity. I'm sorry, some of the core paramount messaging of, of, of what happens when we give charity. The Gemara, for example, says, when you give charity, you're at that point even, we'll answer that soon, Alex. We're gonna get to that soon about Jewish charity. So hold on, don't go anywhere. Nice to meet you, my friend. Right, like go nowhere, and we'll get to that in about 13 minutes. So, first of all, it says if you give charity, you can even be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Every time you give stalker, as I said, you're now getting to, to, to emulate God. You're not only emulating Moshe, who, by the way, we're going to speak about maybe right at the end, whose birthday is tomorrow night. Happy birthday, Moshe Rabbeinu. And this is your side as well. So, we're going to get higher than Moshe Rabbeinu, says the Gemara. Also, it says, that's going to bring Mashiach. We want Mashiach to come, the way to bring Mashiach, the way to end this pandemic and this pandemic of ego, which is out there in the world, we'll answer that soon else, is going to be 
charity. It says charity brings brings Mashiach closer. And then finally it says Stokatatzil Mimovis. Charity saves from death. One of the things, if someone, God forbid, has got ill with COVID, if you've got any loved ones who are very ill with COVID, as well as obviously praying, give some charity in their merit. Give some charity, charity, charity. Charity saves from death. Two quick stories. One quick story about that. Rabbi Akiva had a daughter. And on the astrologers said that on the day of her wedding day, she was going to die. She was going to die. But what do you do as a father? You still want to marry off your child and you're going to trust Hashem that it's going to be somehow okay in the end. And what happened was on her wedding day, as she put a brooch in the wall, it killed the poisonous snake, which was out there to kill her. So afterwards, Rabbi Kiva said to his daughter, my darling daughter, what have you done to have saved your life? What have you done that, that you managed to have your, have your life saved? And she says, the only thing I can think of was at my wedding meal, I saw a poor person at the back of the hall and I went and I could saw they, they were hungry and they hadn't eaten, so I gave them my wedding meal. Rabbi Kiva says, now I understand. Stalker tatsil mimovis. Charity saves from death. So that's how huge charity is. A few of the verses in the Bible, because really everything stems from, from the Torah, from the Old Testament. So the first verse, if you want to check it out, is in Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 7, it says, And if there is a destitute person amongst you, from any of your brethren, in any of your cities, in your land that Hashem has given you, you shall not harden your heart or close your hand against your destitute brother. So you've got this amazing posuk, which is this, the, the core, Hashem's calling for us to go and give charity. There's another verse, Ki You shall open up and continue to open your hand, whatever to him. You see, just it's not just a coincidence. We're talking about opening of the hands, which, as we said, is the yud and the hay. There's another post. There's other many other sukkim. Probably the famous one that many of you know is in Genesis, where it says, "By Jacob, Jacob says, Hashem asa asrenu loch. I'm going to give you my tithe. I'm going to give my ten percent, which is really the core where where it comes from." So we're going to get there, my dear friends on, on, on Instagram. Give me like three secs and then we're going to start asking practical questions about, about um, who to give to, when to give to. By the way, that's my first ever Instagram question. So I'm like, big day. You've made my day, Alicia. Thank you. So next, what other verses? So you've got this verse about actually 10%. So my dear friends, this is really important. Nice to see you, Eitan. Stay with us. Give 10% post-tax. Okay, it's not pre-tax, it's post-tax, the money that comes into you, make a calculation, speak to an accountant to also almost make sure also automatically, don't look at it as your money. Because if you start looking at it as your money, that's why sometimes the eight Sahara, the lowest self doesn't want to give it all. But if you know, as soon as you've given, as soon as you've got paid, 10% straight away, it shouldn't be coming into your kind of accounts and, and spending, right? Straight away, 10% belongs to Hashem, belongs to the world of charity, belongs to give. That's going to really help you. Maimonides says, if you want, you can go up to 20% for the millionaires that are listening today and the billionaires, right? But it should be at least minimum 10%, maximum 20%, says Maimonides. First of all, before we get into the list of priorities, there's a way to give. I want to share with you Maimonides' famous eight ways to give to charity. So if you want to check this out and you look at maybe Chabad.org, the website to see Maimonides and it's called Hilchot Matanot Aniyim in the book called Zra'im in chapter 10. Here we go. The highest way, the best 
way to give charity. Might be this famous English proverb, which has been coined about 150 years ago, which is give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that's maybe you could say originating from the Rambam who wrote 800 years ago, my friends. 800 years ago, Maimonides writes, the best way to give charity is to give them their self-esteem, is to give them their dignity. And if there's any way to give them a job or to create the facility that they can work for themselves or for you, and they thus have dignity with the money coming in, that is the highest way. Because part of giving is how you're going to make the recipient feel. And yes, you might think you're going to give the recipient a thousand pounds and he will be happy. He will be so much more happier if he earns it himself, according to Kabbalah, because we try to study a lot of mysticism here. There's an idea called Nama Diki Sufa from the Gemara and Yashami, bread of shame. People are embarrassed to actually receive. You should know that as, as, as kind of a default position. People are generally embarrassed to receive something. So therefore, if you can give them an environment that they're going to receive without being embarrassed, that is the highest thing. Highest. Now you might think, what chance have I got to give someone a job? Think about it. Maybe you can be somewhat creative. Maybe you can join. One of my friends today was just telling me how he's investing in, in a business that was going really badly. Maybe that could be if you've got someone whose business is like about to go under. So you could also do it from a perspective of you can gain some, some, your, some profits as well and some, some revenue as well from that. But ultimately... It's also a charitable act because you're saving your friend from going under. So that's going to be the highest way to give charity, to give them their dignity, to teach them how to fish, per se. Giving them the fishing rod, obviously, as well. Next one. And this is critical now. And again, I don't know if you feel this is practical, but I really think it's something you should try and aspire to try and achieve. Especially over Purim, you can do it. Which is called Doubly Anonymous. In other words, we're going to talk about doing things in an anonymous way. It should be anonymous. And the real goal, halavai, the second highest step of charity, is to do a double in us. So meaning you don't know who you're giving to and they don't know who they're receiving from. And you could ask, how do you do that? Many ways. In many communities, they actually have these things called like gamas, where and this is what's going to happen on Purim. If you give, it, if you give some money to your local rabbi, he will then distribute it to a poor person. And that poor person will receive it not knowing where it's come from. And you won't know where it's going to. And now you've achieved a very, very, very high level of charity. And no one's embarrassed and no one's the wiser. And that's awesome. Ways, if you can find ways to give charity. And you don't even know where it's going to specifically. Because then it, there's no ego involved and there's no awkwardness involved. And there's purity involved. And really, every community needs to have that, needs to have this kind of community charity chest where people can then facilitate and give out without you knowing who it goes to. The next one is at least one way. So, so at least you should be, so the donor knows who he's giving, but the poor man is unaware because the key thing is not to embarrass, as we said. The Talmud says if you embarrass someone, if you make someone's face go red, it's almost like you've killed them. So it's absolutely pivotal that, and, and there's amazing, you know, in every community, people give envelopes through the door 
so people don't know where it's come from. Nowadays, you can give people, I'm sure, money, transfer money without leaving it just anonymous, anonymous, even on all these amazing crowdfunding scenarios, just to do it from an anonymous perspective is awesome. You're, you're achieving this level, which is the third highest level of the Rambam that way. And then the fourth one is that a step lower is when the recipient knows from who he's receiving, but the giver is unaware of the identity of the recipient. It was the practice of certain great sages that would wrap money in their cloak and throw it over their shoulders behind them so that the poor could take them without being seen, thus avoiding embarrassment. So that's awesome. That's also going to be awesome. You should know from someone who unfortunately now has to do fundraising and, and I'm someone who, for example, loves to give and give and give and teach and educate and inspire and therefore it's someone that I find it really hard to, to try and raise money. So it's so super amazing when actually somebody who, who I go to would A, just be so lovely and charming and nice and not make me feel like sometimes literally you can go to places and they'll say, really, why do they need this charity? This charity isn't needed. There's so many other charities, blah, blah, blah. And you get a t telling off. And amazingly then Rabbi Nachman would say, Baruch Hashem, that's called busy or not. That's called getting embarrassed to try and look for embarrassments. There's nothing more embarrassing sometimes than going knocking on doors and fundraising to erode your ego. But from the giver's perspective, it's so beautiful if you can invite the fundraiser in, you know, post-COVID and you can give them a cup of tea and schmooze with them. And there's this one amazing, donor, there's many amazing donors in Golders Green, but one in particular who opens his house every Sunday morning pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID and he has around 30, 40 people sitting in the waiting room asking for charity and do you know what he does and this is what's unbelievable you know normally in a doctor's surgery you have a people in the waiting room like next in next in this wonderful man which I don't want to say his name because I don't embarrass him because he's very discreet what he does he he's the one who opens the door to everyone walks them in has it, how are you, where are you from, has a little bit of chit chat, what's your charity, is always lovely and always writes a nice something. And then he walks them out. He walks them out, he walks you out through the waiting room to the door, thank you so much for coming. And then the next one. Amazing man in gold is great, amazing, amazing, amazing. And, and you know, Mika Amcha Yisrael, that's one of the incredible things the Jewish people are, you're really superb at the levels of giving charity and they can, they have the ability to give charity in a, in a beautiful way. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but that's the way to do it. The next level down is a step lower for the donor to present money directly to the poor man, but to give it to him before he asks. The next level, a step lower is to give appropriate amount to the poor after being asked. The seventh one is to give the poor man less than the appropriate amount, but to give it with a smile and a, and a pleasant disposition and then finally is to give it with a bit of sadness and how many of you have ever given charity and you're like oh my gosh I can't really afford this I don't really want to but whatever I'll give it that's okay but at least you're not angry because god forbid if you do it and you're angry and there's a dislike and a reluctance and a regret the Rambam wants to say I'm not even sure that's charity I'm not because you, you could have done more damage than good if you're giving with resentment so let's not give with resentment for sure I'm sure you holy souls that are listening, but it's something to really think about, to really think, who am I giving to? And now let's come to the questions you are asking about the priority of it and what's, how it works. And this is the way it works. Here we go. 
the phrase charity begins at home is absolutely consistent with Torah. That's where it comes from. And the Ramam writes, and, and Shulchan Aruch writes, that really draw a circle around you. And the people closest to you are the people first you've got to give to when there's a choice. And therefore, this is the order. Number one, spouse. Number two, then your children. Number three, three your parents, which is interesting. Your parent, the children actually come before your parents, even their parents, there's in the midst of honoring your parents. Number four, your grandparents. Number five, adult children. Number six, siblings, seven relatives, friends, neighbors, your town. And then we go straight to Jerusalem, the poor of Jerusalem. And then the poor in Israel, and then everywhere, and then everywhere. So I think it was Alex who asked, if you're a Jewish person, is it a mitzvah to give to non-Jewish charities? Absolutely, of course it is. However, however, if you've got a certain amount, you've got to first and foremost make sure the Jewish charities or those closest to your heart are also being looked after as well. And I think it's really going to be about a balance. It's going to be about getting your getting a balance going. Here's now the list of the priorities of what you're meant to give to. The highest number one charity would be what's called in halakha, Pidyon Shavuyim. Nice to see you, Sai. Thank you for joining. Number one mitzvah, God forbid, no one should ever know this one, but it's called redeeming captives. It's the number one mitzvah, God forbid. There's a Jewish soul which has been imprisoned and they're asking for a ransom to, to, to redeem them. That is the number one thing to put your money in and, and to try and free them. And actually, if there's a choice in a man and a woman, it says the woman comes first because she could even be raped as well. So you're saving them from rape or, or from whatever. So that's, that's the halakha. And there was a famous story in 1280, a great sage that many, many of you might have heard of called the Maharam of Rottenburg. And, and the German authorities captured him and they asked for a ransom of 23,000 marks. And because he was the great rabbi of the town, it was pretty easy for everyone wanted to help and, 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 and collect the money. But he made a ruling and he goes, it's absolutely forbidden to redeem me because if you pay the ransom, what's to stop them tomorrow capturing someone else and then capturing someone else and capturing someone else. So he put a, a, a halakha that you couldn't go and redeem him. And in fact, he was captured for seven years and he tragically died in prison too. But in those seven years, amazingly, he still gave Torah lectures. There was no Facebook in those days. So he used to speak from his prison bars and some of the members of the community were allowed by the prison bars and would hear his lectures from outside. And he actually, some of his books were written in those last seven years. He died in prison and then horrifically, they still wouldn't release his body and they still were trying to ask for ransom. People didn't want to go against him. Finally, seven years later, sorry, 14 years later, there was a, a, a Jewish guy called Alexander who just enough already, we've got to release him and he did pay a ransom and he did bury him. But then see what you think about this. He made a deal that he, I'll, he made a condition that I'm going to ransom him, but I want to be buried next to him. Why? Because when a soul is buried, part of this, when a body's buried, part of the soul still remains by the body and it's a very high level. That's why soulmates tend to try and be buried together and to be buried by a tzaddik or in a tzaddik's grave actually elevates you and he understood that and wanted to be buried by him. 
personally, I mean, it's a big question. I don't know what you think. Was that right or wrong to do that? From what we've learned from the Rambam, really the highest way to give is, is to do it anonymously, to do it where you're not gaining. Don't know if he was right or wrong. I don't want to judge. Never been in that situation. Interesting if it was right or wrong. And therefore, you know, what brings us now tragically in, in modern day scenarios are when Israeli soldiers are captured. The Gilad Shalits of this world where there's always famous debates because if you release him and then release, you know, a thousand terrorists, then is that what's going to happen? What's very interesting halakhi questions. I'm not going to go into it now, but you can imagine how complex it is, especially with the ruling of Marm of Rottenberg that he said not to release him, even though it's the biggest mitzvah of all. So it's super complicated and every case would be somewhat different, but for sure it's the number one mitzvah in charity. Number two. You still there, everybody? Any questions? You can ask some questions now about the practical ones. Number two, life-saving. If it's a save life. So if you have charities which are literally saving lives, people who, who are literally investing in ventilators during COVID, that was an amazing if, if that was literally saving lives. And just I have to big up just now again, the doctors and the nurses who have been heroes and the soldiers in the battle against COVID who have literally put their lives on the line and saved lives. It's humbling. It's really humbling if you've got any friends or loved ones who are doctors and nurses and, and have saved lives because the number one spiritual act we can do is nefesh is to save a life. And if there is a choice of a charity which saves life and a choice of one that doesn't, then first and foremost, give to the one that can save a life. Number three, then is poverty. Then is poverty. But this is where it gets really fascinating. There's this phrase which, your city comes first because of this circumference. And this is the idea about the Jewish causes. But, you know, if we don't look after ourselves, who will look after us? If we want to be a light to the nations, we can only do that if we're still a light. If no one's going to, no one else is really going to take care of us. So first and foremost, we need to take care of us. And then, absolutely, we need to have global love and have this global solidarity of, of helping those in, in Africa and helping those in Rwanda. And it's amazing what different Jewish charities do around the world. And we should continue to do that. But from you, from a micro perspective, it's super important to know that charity does begin at home. And the poverty, in the way it goes, like for those of you who live in London, first of all, you've got to give to the those in London who need. Then you go to Jerusalem, Israel, and then everyone else. Even though I just want to share with you something that I feel very strongly about from the Baal Shem Tov. As you know, I, I, I love teaching the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov. If something comes to you, though, into your eyes, into your email, into your WhatsApp messaging, but even more so into your heart from a friend, I really feel that it's a message from Hashem and at least give something, at least give something. See, that we don't believe in randomness. That's what Amalek believes. And we believe everything happens for a reason. Every message we get is, is a message from Hashem. And therefore, even if you're just giving a few pounds, just giving a few dollars, a few shekels, just give. If it comes to you, give. And then even more, there's an amazing verse in, in Koheles, which says, Go after your heart. In chapter 11, verse 9, go after your heart. Where King Solomon says, you've got to follow your heart. And when it comes to charity, very much so. Some of you will have charities close to your heart. Now, 
it shouldn't just be a charity that, you know, one of your family members went through cancer, so now you want to give to cancer. That's also very important to give to. I'm talking about something even deeper than that, not just some circumstances, something you just, you just touches your heart and soul. And, 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 and that's your baby. And it's nothing wrong with having a charity which you have this incredible deep spiritual affinity to that's kind of your baby and, and you do that. Which brings me to the next one because many people give a lot of charity to Jewish causes. The Jewish people give a lot to Jewish causes, to synagogues, to schools, to Jewish outreach organizations, Jewish continuity. And it's on the next one. So after redeeming lives, life-saving, poverty. The next one then is Judaism. It's Am Yisrael Chai, to keep the Jewish people still alive. And therefore you should know it's part of your 10% when you pay synagogue fees, when you pay to go and hear a Torah lecture, when you pay for anything Jewish continuity, even to buy Jewish books, even to buy Jewish books, that can be still called part of your 10% because you're helping the Jewish people continue. Next, emotional pain to help charities which help solve them and, and take away, God forbid, people's emotional pain. Obviously, mental pain, you could say now, we know so clearly that mental pain you could even call it as life-saving. So, so, so Jamie, organizations which really help mental illness, I would say is closer to, to, to life-saving with the amount of suicide that's out there. But then just emotional pain is a core one. And then only after you've looked after humans, that's when you're meant to look after animals, then the environment, then the arts, which is all charity and all classifies as charity. Um, so I was just saying that, Alex, right? So, so you should absolutely can, if, you, if, you, if you're an animal lover and, and it touches your heart, as King Solomon says, it means a lot to you, then absolutely my point to you, Alex, will be, please don't just give to animals. A lot of people in their wills leave a huge amount to animals. My, my dad always used to kind of say sarcastically that the charities for animals are called the royal charities and to humans it's national one. And that's kind of doesn't really make sense because first of all it's humans. First of all we do have a mitzvah to keep humans alive and care for humans and care for humanity. They, we are the ones with Hashem's soul and we are the ones who have that higher level of free will. We are the ones who Hashem has created the world for mankind's, mankind's free will to emulate Hashem Animals are the next level down. So yes, give to animals if it means a lot to you, but it shouldn't be instead of you. It means it should be after you've given to human charities as such. Hope that's answered. Um, any other questions before I give you my some inspirational stories? Any questions? Happy to take a few questions now before. See if there was a question on Instagram. Is it charitable? To, are you still there, Alicia? Are you still there? So is it still? Is she still there? Is it charitable to give to a homeless drug user who asks for change? I'm in this position a lot where I'm asked for money, but they're a very, very good question. <sighs> so tricky. So a homeless drug user, obviously the best way is to try and find your accommodation, try and find a shelter, try and find food. Obviously to give money to someone who's either an alcoholic or a drug user, I'm not sure, I probably obviously wouldn't advise it. I wouldn't advise it. You know, in Tel Aviv, there's so much homelessness and there's this guy who used to be really near to me. We're here with a big bottle in his hand, but he used to sit by the supermarket 
in Ben Yehuda. So sometimes I would buy something extra from the supermarket and give it to him then. So I'm much more into you buy them food, even though you could argue it's a bit patronizing. But I do know what that. And again, unfortunately, in Tel Aviv, it was so sad how much homelessness there is there. I used to really try if I had the time and just like sit down and have a chat. Because I think more than anything, if you can also show an affinity in your humanity and have a conversation and, and, and that brings them, I think, as much of a smile as it is if you can give them money, to give them friendship, to give them care, to give them love. I think that's super important. Okay, I see on. Um, so then we can be there to care for animals. Of course we can, Catherine. Um, I find it difficult to buy them food if I can afford. Yeah. Any other questions? I don't see really any other questions before we move on to cool stories. Any other questions? So, uh, and what obviously what Crystal says, obviously you've got to do a bit of research, some of the charities, because, you know, there's certain charities that actually really could be almost harmful to to causes maybe very close to your to, to your heart. But, but in short, if you're on a airplane, then they tell you at the end, they tell you before you leave that if there's a problem with the oxygen, put on your ventilator first and then your child's. And that's really, Jonathan Sachs used to say this a lot about Jewish causes, even though we as Jews, our job is to be a light to the nations and help those around the world and help those on the other. And that is what it means to make a Kiddush Hashem, to show that we care about the whole of God's humanity. At the end of the day, though, we still also, first of all, have to make sure we're alive and we are sustained and we put on the ventilator ourselves first, our family, our loved ones, those in our city, those in Israel. And please, God, there's going to be more to go around and there'll be plenty, please, God, to then help other causes around the world and then and then other causes which aren't even human ones as well. Let me give you a bit of inspiration now. Here we go. Some super amazing stories about, about charity. Listen up and then I'll be happy to take a few more questions at the end as well. First beautiful story, which really made me um, super emotional when I learned it. It's a story about the Kapshitzenter Rebbe. His name is Rav Avram Yeshua Heschel, who was one of the very lucky Rebbes to survive the Holocaust. In fact, he was close to this other great Rebbe called the Klausenberger Rebbe, who suffered enormously from the ravages of the Holocaust, losing his entire family. But the Rev. Avram Yeshua Heschel was more fortunate. He managed to escape to America before the war broke out. And after World War II, these two Rebbes met and the Klausenberger asked the Kapschinster, what did you do? What virtue of good deed did you do to merit your entire family being saved from Hitler and the Nazis? In his humility, the Rebbe didn't want to say a clear response, but finally said, and this changed my life, listen to this, listen to this. He said, I was living in Vienna in Austria in 1938 when the Nazis occupied the country. They immediately began to plunder and persecute and torture the Jews. Alarmed for my well-being, one of my Hasidim gave me a tremendous, enormous amount of money. Saying, dear Rebbe, it's clear these times of war are suffering. Here's enough money to survive the war. And the Rebbe said this put him in a terrible dilemma. Because listen to this custom. It was his custom never to go to sleep at night with a penny in the house. Any funds available, he would always distribute immediately to those in need. So the Rebbe had this custom. He wouldn't go to sleep if he had a penny. If there was, you know... $100 there, he would just have to give it to find some poor people to give it to and he would distribute it to the poor. But now he's got this huge amount 
and he's never yet gone to sleep with money in his house. On the other hand, he could save his life to use that money to get to America. So he didn't know what to do. He finally decided. The Rebbe said, I'm not going to deviate from my way. And that day he, I distrib distributed, he said, the whole fortune to charity. And, and why did he get saved in the end? And he says, he just thinks that was the spiritual act that Hashem said, okay, you can get saved. And he got saved in the end when one of his other students said, we heard what you did, Rebbe. What were you thinking? This time I'm giving you money, but it's not for you to give to charity. I don't, it's forbidden if you give to charity with this money. This is only to get you to America somehow and use the money to get to America. And, and he got whisked away to America. And I just think that's amazing. How many of us, don't even dream of, you know, we're looking to store money and store money for our future and store money for our retirement and retirement. From a spiritual perspective, it's so important. You have money, which is available, and a charity course comes your way, give something, give something. You know, there was a friend of mine in Golders Green, the most amazing donor called Benzi Dunner. He used to give millions away. I knew people, they would go to him and he would say, I'm doing a deal. If the deal works out, you can have it. Not 10%, you can have it. Yes, he was a millionaire, so he didn't need, you know, for, to, to finance his own family from that deal. He would literally give away deals. There was, you know, someone famously came to Golders Green years back to try and raise money for an operation for his mother. And he had to raise 25,000 pounds. And he managed to raise a couple of thousand pounds and it was the, like, like nearly the day to go back. And he came to Benzi Donner and right there, Benzi Donner wrote a check for the other 23,000. He wrote the whole thing, right? He gave him, he, he, didn't, he didn't mess about, you know, he passed away, I think just after Purim and the few days early, he'd given away apparently 4 million pounds on Purim. So we're talking about different caliber of charity givers that, the, and it puts us to shame and it shows us what we're capable of doing. Next story. And this, again, is so emotional. You know, to give charity during the Holocaust, different level. So there was a Holocaust survivor called Rabbi Shimon Zucker. And he relates the following story. He said, during World War II, he was a prisoner in a slaver labor camp in Kamenetz. And many of the Jewish prisoners were dying out of malnutrition and starvation. And he writes, I knew that I could only get a little more food that will keep them alive, but there was no extra morsel. You know, they, they literally had a tiny bit of food that kept them alive. But he said something amazing happened one day. In honor of their holiday season, the cruel taskmasters decided to give each worker a double portion of food in one day. So this Shimon, can you imagine to have this wisdom and have this holiness during the Holocaust? He said, what a great idea. And he stood up and said, stuck everybody. It's a chance to give charity. They're giving us double the amount. We don't need that. If every one of the workers who was receiving an extra portion would donate just a small part for the, for the starving brothers and sisters, we could save people from death. And he stood and he said, partners in suffering, we've had a chance to give extra money to give our food, to give some charity, we can save lives. And he did that. The next day, he says, I was summoned to the headquarters of the camp to stand trial for my criminal activities. He writes, I was charged with the terrible offense of organizing communist activities because I encouraged my comrades to share their wealth. For this high crime, I was condemned to die. 
But then I attempted to defend myself by explaining to the commandant that my sole motivation was the desire to save my brethren from a certain starvation. Much to my surprise, the Nazi's heart was softened and he dismissed me in my case with one word, out. And I just think that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? You're in, you're in the Holocaust and you're thinking even then with the bit of food you have, that's what it means to be Jewish. That whatever you have is not really yours. It's there to share. It's, it's there to do, to do a mitzvah with. And then one, my penultimate story, listen to this story from the Ramah. If you heard of the Ramah, some of you maybe come with me to Poland. We've gone to the famous Ramah synagogue in Krakow, Rav Moshe Isilis. So in that, we're going to give you two stories about Krakow now. Story number one. They lived in Krakow, a simple Jew called Moshe the Schlepper. Because he eked out his meager living by carrying some freight and furniture from place to place. Because he had other nicknames. One was called Moshe the Shikah. Why? Moshe the Drunk. Because he had a very unusual custom on welcoming Shabbos. All day he would scrimp and scrape from his meager earnings. But every Friday afternoon, before immersing himself in the mikvah for Shabbos, he would go to the local tavern, local pub, order a tall glass of honey, mead, which he drank with relish. And as he, as he sipped the intoxicating beverage, he would start singing, Shabbos, Shabbos, good Shabbos. He would start making Shabbos songs, getting a bit drunk, like a pre-Lachaim of Shabbos. I know some of you are into that. Moshe the Shikha used to do that, and he was renowned for that. So for many years, he never deviated from this holy custom. Until one Friday afternoon, things changed. As Moshe made his way to the tavern, he noticed the neighbor of his watching him from her window saying, Oy vey, he's about to treat himself to a drink. I don't even have pennies to purchase candles for Shabbos. And overhearing, Moshe is now in a real quandary because he only had those few coins to have his drink. On the other hand, this poor lady wasn't about to light Shabbat candles, which is a bigger mitzvah. So he decided there's no question he's got to help her. And he went and he gave her the money. And he went to the mikvah. A little while later, right before Shabbos, Moshe died. Moshe the Shikha died. And they guarded his lifeless body in a special room adjacent to the Ramoshul so they could purify it straight after Shabbos. Shabbos came and every, no one even knew he died. As soon as Shabbos ended, Moshe appeared in a dream to the Ramah and said, I've come as a messenger from Hashem, from the heavenly tribunal, to warn the Rob that in heaven they're displeased with him and he's in danger. The Ramah's like, Moshe is Shikha, what is going on? And, and Moshe Shikha said, no, no, I'm really here. This is really from Hashem. I'm actually passed away. I know you didn't know, but I actually passed away. And I've got a message from Hashem, you're in trouble. And finally the Ramah said, okay, I, 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 you must be telling the truth. What have I done wrong? Moshe the Shikha said, because the Rav isn't fulfilling the mitzvah of charity properly. He said, how can that be? I go around personally, I collect money from the poor. He says, yes, you do, but you only go to the homes of rich and dignified people when you're assured an honorable and sizable donation. But the poor and the low class people you ignore, you never give them a chance to participate in the mitzvah. They're very upset with you in heaven. Terribly shaken, the Ramah said, what can I do to rectify? And Ramosha said, from now on, the Rav must commit to collecting charity from the whole 
city from the entire, from the poorest, the lowest classes, no matter how difficult and how demeaning it is. And the Ramah accepted this message and then asked Rav Moshe, how come you get to be the messenger of Hashem so quickly, even before your burial, to teach me this very important, humbling lesson about charity? And Moshe related, he told him the story about he gave his charity just before Shabbos to help her buy Shabbos candles and to stop his custom. And that was worth so much in Shemaim. That was worth so much that in heaven they decided if we let him live for a few more years, he's not going to be on the same level as he is now. So for his spiritual sake, he's now worth such an incredible high portion in heaven. It's worth Rav Moshe coming now to Gan Eden straight away, which again just tries to teach us that the lesson of charity, my friends, it should hurt. It shouldn't be easy. It should be, oh my gosh, can I afford that? But yalla, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give. And again, listen to the idea. He's walking to his mikvah and he hears a voice. Rav Moshe hears this woman say, I need for my Shabbos candles. That means when you hear that voice saying, I need help. I need help. Help me. You know, my, my beautiful daughter today has been sending WhatsApps right, left and center because she's got a good friend of hers who needs help. Looking, you know, she's got a, a terrible financial situation where she's close to losing her children and, and she needs financial help. And my beautiful daughter's been doing tremendous work if anybody wants to donate to her cause. But my point is, it came to her and now she's helping others. She's now putting it in front of other people's faces. So when the charity cause comes your way, it's not random. It's Hashem saying to you, what are you going to do? Even if you just give a bit. But the fact that you're giving means Hashem sending you a message and then you're responding. I'll finish off with my famous charity story, my like favorite charity story. And it really is the kind of, uh, you know, very emotional for me, this story. I heard it, first of all, from the famous Shlomo Karlovach. It's one of his legendary stories. So it's a true story. It happened approximately 400 years ago, back in Poland. And it's a story called Yossel the Miser. There was a guy in Krakow who was famous for being one of the wealthiest men in Krakow, but the biggest miser going. He was such a miser, he wouldn't give a penny to charity. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So much so the little kids used to throw stones at him in the street and used to say, ugh, you're that disgusting miser. And in fact, but every poor person always tried their luck. They always tried their luck to try and because they were hoping they were the ones who were going to soften his heart, because he must have a heart. And, and, and therefore, every poor person had that opportunity, and this is what happened. They used to go to his house, and they used to knock on his door, and he used to say, yeah, who's there? And they said, you know, we want your help. He goes, sure, come in the house. And they used to come in the house, and he used to take a pen and paper. And they, he said, what's your name? Where do you live? How many children do you have? What's your financial situation? How much do you need? Almost taunting them, like making them think there's a chance. And then he laughed. He took the pen, threw it at them and said, Are you, do you think that I'm going to give you money? Have you ever given me money? Have you ever given anyone money? Go and get a job. Go and work harder. Don't come to me. Get out of my house. And he actually then would go up and physically take, throw them out of the house. And they would normally be crying. And he would do that to every single poor person. He would literally 
totally humiliate them. They'd be distraught, distraught. And he was just a disgusting miser and known as that. And he was such a miser that even though when he was getting ill and old, he didn't want to pay for his own burial. It's called the Chevra Kadisha. But, you know, we pay the community to bury us, to get our, 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 our grave site. And he didn't even want to spend money on that. So near the end of his days, the Chevra Kadisha came to him and they said, Yosla, we're giving you one more chance now. We're not going to bury you if you don't pay your burial fees. You can afford it more than anyone in the city. And he goes, I'm going to pay you fees. I'm going to pay you fees. Forget about it. He goes, I'll bury myself. And with that, he says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. He passed away. Yosla the Miser died. And the Chavra Kadisha said, we said we're not going to bury you. Why should we bury you? You haven't paid your burial fees. They were so upset. They left. He died on a Monday. Tuesday, he was unburied. Wednesday, he was unburied. By Thursday now, he's still unburied. And it's actually creating a tremendous smell in the building. Safe, you know, health and safety. This guy is smelling up the building. It was super unsafe. So they said, okay, let's now, for our sake, just put him in the ground. And they, you know, put him in a, in a, in a carpet. They rolled him down. They had the famous Jewish cemetery in, in Krakow by the Ramosha Isilis, by the Ramah, that I've been there so many times. And there was a tree right there. They made a little hole. They put him in the hole. Goodbye, Yosla the Miser. Goodbye. <sighs> On that Thursday afternoon, the great rabbi was a rabbi called the Tosfus Yomtev. He was born at the end of the 16th century. It's now about 16.30 time. And Tosfus Yomtev is getting a knock on the door from a poor person. Rabbi, it's coming to Shabbos. I don't know how I'm going to pay for my family on Shabbos. He said, okay, you know, how much do you need? 20 minutes later, another knock on the door. Rabbi, how are we going to pay for Shabbos? 20 minutes later, another knock on the door. Another knock on the door. He got the poor people of the town that Thursday night, that Friday morning, all crying to him. How are they going to pay food for Shabbos? And he's like, what? It's going on. They haven't come last week or the week before or the year before or the year before that. Why have they never come before? And he can't understand. All of a sudden, boom, this week, no one can afford Shabbos food. So the Tosis Yomtev is like racking his brain and he's thinking, can't be. Can't be? Because the only thing that's really changed in the city this week is this miser passed away. So he starts now, the next time a poor person comes, says, let me ask you a question. Did you ever meet Yosla the miser? And he said, uh, yeah, of course, we all met Yosla the Miser. He said, we all go to his house. He'd write down the, our name, our family, our address. And then he'd throw us out. And Tosfus Yomtev said to them, but how did you afford food last Shabbos and the Shabbos before and the Shabbos before? And he said, yeah, because, you know, for years now, years and years now, every Wednesday night in the middle of the night, an envelope comes to our door. With all the money we need, all the money we needed for Shabbos, all the money we needed. The Tosfus Shamsif said, don't you realize it was Yosla the miser who really wasn't a miser. He wasn't a miser after all. He was just pretending. He was obviously just learning this Rambam that we learned. That you should give anonymously and he took it to the whole different level. 
But he wasn't a miser really, he was a tzaddik. He was a hidden, right, written righteous soul. He was the most incredible, generous person. just didn't want to embarrass himself. He didn't want anyone ever to realize that he's the one who's actually funding the whole city, looking after all the poor of the city. And not only is he not getting recognition, he's getting humiliation. Can you imagine how high his soul is? How great he is? Can you even imagine? And he's straight away that Friday morning. He opened up the ark and he said, Yosle, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness. We left you unburied all week long. All week long you've been unburied. The biggest mitzvah of all is, God forbid, someone passes away and then unburied. You have to bury them. It's called a mace mitzvah to bury the dead. There's no one's buried and they left him in the city. He realized he could be a terrible punishment in a spiritual world. And he went and he opened up the ark in Shul with a minion and asked for forgiveness and closed his eyes and fell to the ground. And the Tosfos Yom Tov writes that at that point, Yosla the Miser came to him. And Tosfos Yom Tov said, I'm so sorry, Yosla, I'm so sorry. We left you unburied. You were never, no one looked after you. And Yosla the Miser replied to him and said, don't worry, Rebbe. It was all me. It was my choice. And don't worry, I was fine. As soon as I passed away, do you know who joined me? Avram Avinu. And Yitzchak Avinu, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they all were with me. They looked after me. They nurtured me. It was the most beautiful, blissful experience. I was absolutely fine. It was down on me. Don't feel bad. You're, of course, forgiven. There's nothing actually to forgive. And at that point, the Tosfus Yom Tov cried and said, we're so sorry. And Tosfus Yom said, I would like to be buried next to you. And he made a decree to his family and loved ones to say that he's going to be now buried next to and if you actually go to Krakow and you go to the cemetery, you can go right next to the Toast of Yom Tov's great grave is the grave of herein lies Yosla the Miser. But Shlomo Karlebach doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, years later, years later, he was attending a multi-faith conference. He was a rabbi and he was there with some Christian leaders and Islamic leaders and and, and Shlomo Karabach said this story about Yosla the Miser at this multi-faith conference. And afterwards, when Shlomo Karabach was going home, Joe the Bishop, who was on the stage, was running after him and saying, can you just tell me the story again? Tell me the story again. Tell me the story. Shlomo told him the story again. Joe the Bishop, I need your number. The next day, Joe the Bishop called him back and said, Shlomo, I need to tell you my story. And Joe the Bishop said, this is what's just happened to me. My father was also a religious Christian and he died a few years back. And my mother has just spoken to me and said, there's a secret I've been hiding from you, Joe, all your life. And the secret is that really I'm Jewish. And your father rescued me from the Holocaust and, and he, he, he liberated me. And we fell in love, but he made me promise not to reveal that I was Jewish to anyone, to our children, and to bring you up as a Christian. But now I just feel before I'm dying, you deserve to know that actually you're a Jewish boy. And this is where you come from. 
And actually, to, if you want to know your past, I come from a very famous line from Krakow, where my great-great-grandfather was a great sage called Yossela the Miser. He was the famous Yossela the Miser. I've come directly from him, and that's why we called you Joe, which is the English name for Yossela. And Joe the bishop heard the story and said, Ah, can't be true. But then my mom's telling it to me, maybe it is true. What am I going to do? And Joe the bishop said the previous night he prayed to God and he said, God, you tell me what to do. If really I'm Jewish, show me a sign. Bring me a sign. And then the next day, Shalom HaKadabach, you're saying this story about Yosla the Miser. And I've just been told by my mom that that's, I'm a descendant from Yosla the Miser. And he took that to mean that Hashem's sending him this message that he should be now going back to his roots. And Shalom HaKalabach finishes off by saying, a few years later, he got a letter from Joe the Bishop saying the following, Shalom, I'm standing here now by the Western Wall. I'm about to get married to a Jewish lady. I've been studying in yeshiva in Israel all these years. As a consequence of your story, I just wanted to say thank you so much. Because if not for your story about Yosla the Miser, I wouldn't have been able to have the courage to go back to my Jewish roots. That's how Shlomo ends the story. So in conclusion, we're saying, I hope you enjoyed that story in conclusion. We're saying that the Rambam said one of the greatest ways to give charity is to give it anonymously. It's something we need to think about, that when we give, give anonymously, the, the root of the word stakah is the word sedek, is the word justice. You know, if you look on websites, you see there's a whole debate Justice versus charity. What, is it just to give charity or is it volunteering? Is it, is it even just? According to the Torah, according to Judaism, it's absolutely just. Do you know why? Because it's not yours. Money's not yours. It's Hashem's. It's there to give to. So next time someone knocks on your door, someone asks you, don't think, oh, chutzpah, they're asking me. Say, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity, for filling this great, great Great mitzvah, a mitzvah that the Rambam Maimonides writes, more than you're meticulous about any other mitzvah, you should be meticulous about, about charity. Just one last thing, the Shabbat is a very important Shabbat for the Jewish people. It's called Shabbat Zachar. It's where it's a mitzvah in the Torah to remember that Amalek tried to destroy us and, and to kind of remove them from the world. But more than that, remove Amalek from our heart. Amalek means doubt. It means Lack of clarity. It's that that tried to destroy us on Purim. And it's, it's, it's a mitzvah to remember that. And therefore, if any of you can't go to synagogue, if you can't go to synagogue because of COVID, then at least read it from a chumash. Open up a chumash at home and read the parts called Parshat Zachar. But also you should know mystically they say it's also called Zachar because it's always the Shabbat connected to Moshe Rabbeinu's birth. Moshe Rabbeinu on Zion Adar, tomorrow night is the 7th of Adar. He was born on Zion Adar. He passed away on Zion Adar. And tomorrow night, I really recommend you, you and therefore Shalom Zachar, we say Shalom Zachar, when a, when a baby boy, boy is born, the first Shabbat is called the Shabbos Zachar, the, 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 the Shabbos for the male. It also is connected to the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was always buried before, was always born and passed away this Shabbat. So therefore tomorrow night, I really recommend that you take a, a candle, you light a candle, Le'iloi Nishmas Moshe Rabbeinu Ben Amram. You say some Tehillim, maybe say the, the, the Tehillim of Moshe Rabbeinu, 91. Yosheh B'Seyse Elion, say it, finishing off first with the last line of 90, V'inoim Hashem Elokeinu Masi Udeinu Kone'o Masi Udeinu Kone'o 
because that connects words of words of Hashem. That's Miyachet Hashem Shemos, Hashem's names. And then you say Psalm ninety one and say in the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu, and then daven to Hashem and say Moshe Rabbeinu, can you advocate my prayers? And please God, you'll see tremendous miracles. You'll see salvations from praying and connecting to Moshe Rabbeinu tomorrow night of all times. Just to finish off with my five with about five and a half years ago when we found out my daughter was pregnant for the first time we were trying to work out her due date which is like around i just had this gut crazy weird spiritual feeling that she was gonna have her first baby on zion adar and i said to her you can have a baby on zion adar and she said daddy what do you know actually it's two weeks before the due date and it's obviously not going to happen and then when it came to her due date, I was saying to her, chill out. It's actually, you're not going to hospital yet. It's not ready. It's going to be Zion Adar. It's going to be Zion Adar. And she's like, what are you chatting about? Anyway, a few days before when she's now starting to panic a bit and worry and say, oh my gosh, it might be Zion Adar. I'm saying to her, I hope, you know, obviously it's going to be born Zion Adar. I hope, you know, you're going to call him Moshe because, you know, it's the day when Moshe Rabbein was born. He's like, we've thought of a name, daddy. So don't give me that. You know, what are you chatting about? You know, we... Uh, don't go there. You know, we've got a name already. We've got a name. And I said, okay, whatever. It was Zion Adar and Baruch Hashem. He was born on the 7th of Adar. And then at his bris milah, they surprised me because they had this name, beautiful name, Rafael. And his name is Rafael Moshe. They also added in Moshe as well. So my grandson, my first grandson is called Rafael Moshe, who was born on Zion Adar. So it's happy birthday, Rafael. And happy birthday, Moshe Rabbeinu. And, and happy Day to all of you because it's Mishanechnas Adar Marbe Mesimchos who said the beginning. Please enter Adar, give lots of charity, and Bezrat Hashem. The whole of Am Yisrael should see tremendous, tremendous happiness immediately, immediately.